0: Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 49. I'm Christina Suzama, Ma, your host for this program. Thank you so much for joining me today. As again, I continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and the many modalities of helping each of us find balance in our individual journeys. We're excited to meet those who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet. Well, our guest today is an amazing woman who we are so honored to have with us today. She has dedicated most of her life to community service, helping and supporting women and children who have sadly been through an abusive or violent situation. She has been awarded many, many accolades for her work and continues to inspire so many on this planet. As we say, one drop is a thousand waves. Well, she's a pretty big drop in this ocean. (laughs) We are honored to welcome Patty Giggins, Executive Director of Peace Over Violence. Hello, Patty.
1: Hi, Christina. Nice to be with you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us here today. I know that you have been so busy and you've carved out this uh, small window of time to share with us everything that you do.
1: Yes, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and it is a really important time and a very, very busy time to educate our local communities, the entire country, and the whole world about Mm -hmm. sexual violence.
0: Mm -hmm. So April is officially uh, a national day here in the U.S.? April, the whole month, is a national month
1: Mm -hmm. dedicated to sexual assault awareness. And then we have a day, April 24th, which is Denim Day in LA, Denim Day USA.
0: Mm. Um, So USA, so across the nation, people will be partaking in Denim Day.
1: Yes, uh, nationally and internationally. Actually, millions of people will be participating and becoming more educated about sexual violence.
0: Mm, mm, Wonderful. Patty, I, I look forward, and I think what we'll do is we will... I will ask questions about the Denim Day further on in our discussion. And be, because before we do, can you share with our audience a little bit of your history and background and how you came to be the executive director of Peace Over Violence?
1: Uh, sure, I'd love to. Um, I've been the executive director here almost 30 years. And I came to the organization because I was a self defense instructor. And I actually uh, was teaching karate at one of the first women's martial arts schools in the country. Uh, and it started here in LA. It was called Karate Women. And uh, so it's been a while now, but I came through self defense, I came through prevention of violence. And of course, I've had the, it's been a blessed uh, journey for me to work these many years on this issue of violence against women and children. With such amazing uh, volunteers and community members and our staff
0: now you're originally from the East Coast
1: I was born in New York
0: and what brought you out here
1: um, I came to California uh, when I was um, in, in, uh, when I was married and through one of those where the husband gets the the job and the wife follows <laughs> and uh, For a feminist, it was kind of like a little challenging to do that, but uh, it was a wise decision on my part.
0: (laughs) Now, did you have your black belt by that point already? I
1: did. I had my black belt. And I did come to Los Angeles with an idea. It was to start a school for women and uh, a martial arts school for women. I had uh, gotten my black belt in Paris. And uh, so I did have that plan. And I yes, I'm happy to say uh, I was able to do that.
0: Oh, my goodness. So it was always in your blood that you were going to create something like this.
1: I think so. I think uh, the whole empowerment notion mm-hmm. of uh, all of us being able to be agents of our own lives has it's always been a compelling interest for me. And I i had to develop those skills to do that. You know, none of us are born completely empowered with all the skills we need or the attitudes we need. We often are unlearning so many things while we're learning new things.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, And for us here at, at Yoga Hub, that's why we love and we're so passionate about interviewing individuals like you, because we feel like you cannot stop learning and empowering yourself and, and helping others and supporting others continuously to do that. So we we love that. <laughs> that goal.
1: Christina, you'd be interested to know at uh, Karate Women's School, which the official name was Karate Women's School of Movement mm-hmm. and Martial Arts. And so we had Aikido. We had mm-hmm. yoga. Obviously, we had my karate mm-hmm. classes. We had uh, karate kids before the movie came out. They took, they took the name from us. Uh, so you'd be interested to know that uh, I, like you, have always felt that movement is is one of the most important ways to stay healthy.
0: Yes, yes, keeping balance. And is that uh, school still up and running?
1: No, And when I, when I uh, became the executive director here, I had to uh, kind of retire and I turned it over to my senior students and they kept it running for about 10 years more mm. after that. Um but uh since then though it has it has closed
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, but still but I'm, I'm happy
1: i'm happy to say that women have been able to train yes. at co ed uh uh training centers and and co ed dojos originally, you know we started it because it wasn't comfortable, women were not really welcomed into the male the male karate schools at the time, but now that's changed yes. so there are many more options for women and and girls. And then boys to 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 train in uh martial arts.
0: Yes, it's it's uh from thirty years ago it's it's quite quite a quite a new shift that has happened, which is really lovely. You know, I think more more and more girls have a, a better opportunity these days. And it's because of people like you that have laid that groundwork.
1: Like when many of us were pre-Title IX. You know, Title Nine is the federal law that uh mandates equal opportunity for women in sports and athletics. And uh, so some of us who started those schools and were doing those sports pre title nine, um, mm-hmm. you know, we were the, uh, we were the pioneers. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Lovely. Um, now here you are at uh, peace over violence. Can you explain to our audience what, your goals are and the mission and uh, the kind of work and the shifts that you have done in communities?
1: Sure. Our mission is to build healthy relationships, families and communities free from sexual and domestic and interpersonal violence. So we are a sexual assault, domestic violence, child abuse and youth violence prevention center. Our headquarters are in uh, Los Angeles. We also have an office in the West San Gabriel Valley um, and uh, here in Los Angeles. And so we are local in terms of our direct services, but we are statewide and national in terms of the prevention work, the advisory work, and the policy work that we do. But we are very hands-on. We have the oldest rape and battering hotline that's continuously running in the country. We started back in 1971, before there were ever any kinds of organizations dealing with sexual violence or domestic violence. And over the last 42 years, our our programs have grown, and we've been able to reach many, many more people, not only with direct services, but uh, through our prevention work. Mm -hmm. So we are there at the point of the crisis here in Los Angeles. And uh, so we will go to the hospital with a, a rape victim or a battered woman. Uh, we will go to court if, uh, if that uh, presents itself. We will go to the police station. We'll go to the hospital and meet with the victim at the hospital. We don't believe that anyone should go through the trauma of interpersonal violence alone. Mm. That, for healing to take place, it's important to have at least one other person to take that journey, journey with you. And we're part of a network. Uh, not only across the state of California, but across the country, of domestic violence programs and sexual violence programs that are there in community uh, to help victims not only become survivors, but to become thrivers.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, that's very, that's very, very empowering. Um, it, it's uh, you know, when people speak of rape and, and I know many years ago, you know, I'm orig- I'm, originally from Canada. So so I think the the laws and they're a little different. There's not as many people in a small <laughs> in, this, in a small area there's not as many people. We're all spread out all over the place. Things like this do happen. We don't hear a lot about it. Um it's always kept very hushed, of course, and um I do believe uh, still now. Uh it's very difficult for people to come forward to say that they are being abused or even to realize that they're being abused.
1: That's so true. I mean, after 40 years of an organized uh, anti-violence against women's movement, uh, it is still, it's kind of, it's sad. It's sad that uh, still the stigma is so strong and still out there that victims are reluctant to report or to seek help. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that Stigmatization is so internalized that people will not even almost acknowledge what happened to them, mm. and so that's part of the work that we do. We want to uncover um, these these crimes. We want to uncover these traumas, and it indeed it's a trauma. It's a trauma to the body. It's a trauma to the soul. It's a trauma to the mind, and we want to make the world safer for people to come forward and get the help they deserve.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that today that still exists where it's, it's still shameful for some of the societies and cultures out there and it's hard for them to come forward.
1: Yes. The shame, shame is still there. The shaming
0: Mm -hmm. uh, and the
1: stigmatizing is still, is still there in our cultures, in all cultures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, our work is to continue to destigmatize the issue Mm -hmm. so that, uh, a man and women who are molested or abused or raped as children can come forward. Um, you know, one in four women are molested or sexually abused under the age of 18. And one, it's reported that one in six men under the age of 18 are sexually abused or, or coerced into unwanted sexual encounters. Mm uh so it's this is a this is a this is a huge problem mhm
0: mhm well mm-hmm. And, and especially in the past uh ten fifteen years with those rape drugs they were calling it, where you, people had no idea of what was happening because of what was being put in their food or their drink
1: right unfortunately, there's always a new tactic
0: that comes mm.
1: on board, whether it's using the internet. To uh, predators using it, using the internet, uh, trying to coax uh, someone to meet them somewhere, um, the uh, the date rape drugs that you're referring to, They're always there's almost like a, a new technology every few months to figure out a way to overpower someone else to either you know to hurt them to harm them to steal sex from them. Um, and that's you know that's unfortunately humans do this to one
0: another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that uh, in the almost thirty years that you've been involved with this uh, organization, ha- has it gotten better? Have oh. has you, have you seen the shift? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm wishing in my heart that you know you know the answer. I'm wishing for, right. but but let's, let's look seen. at the reality yeah. here. The
1: reality is that we there we have shifted some of the social norms, and we have changed people's attitudes, and we have demanded that there are uh, laws that will uh, hold bu- abusers accountable and that will help victims come forward. Absolutely, um, but we still have a long way to go. I still I still think that. As much as we've made progress over the 40 years of all these organized networks and and the, the newer public policy, like the Violence Against Women Act that we have in this country, um, but that there are there's still so uh, so far to go because these these attitudes persist. They're thousands of years old. That women are property. Uh, that girls um, are there to be used as someone may want. Um, blaming the victim persists so that if someone is raped or someone is battered, sometimes the first question that, that's asked is, what were you wearing? Mm. Well, why did you choose to go out with that person? Why didn't you know better? Why did you marry someone who is abusive? Why do you stay with someone who is abusive? So, you know, we have, we have our work uh, cut out for us, but we, I think we are on the progressive end of making the social change that we need.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I noticed also that you have, it's not your, the cultures that you have been um, approaching is not just English speakers. I see that you've also touched upon, you know, the the Latin, Spanish uh, communities. You've uh, touched upon the Asian communities, Korean, Chinese. Um, you have buttons and things in Farsi. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, now are these mainly for here in the US? Well, originally the buttons
1: that you're referring to are the buttons uh for denim day mm-hmm. in LA, Denim Day USA. In fact, I'm I'm wearing a button, uh Denim Day USA right now, and we have uh buttons in about 12, 13 languages now. Uh, part of it is that Los Angeles is an international city, and we have language We have uh, about one hundred and twenty languages spoken in our uh, school district, mm-hmm. and the United States is a is an international country. people come from everywhere, and um, the idea though, is that there is no excuse and never an invitation to rape in any language, in any culture, that there is no excuse mm-hmm. to rape or to violate to overpower someone for sex or for power. And uh, that's a big message. And we've been, uh, we've been putting this out there for the last uh, 14 years in our sexual violence prevention campaign, which is Denim Day USA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here, here in Los Angeles, we do have services, in particular targeting the Latina community and also for uh, people who are deaf but across the country there's networks uh in so many different communities uh really reaching out in the in the native languages of the uh survivors who need the help
0: that's very interesting. you you brought up uh in your last comment including a hotline for people who are deaf
1: we have services yes we have the video phone and we have counseling services and we actually even teach self defense to the deaf community we have deaf instructors and uh instructors who can who know sign language so that we we are very much um working within the deaf community to reduce the uh to reduce the suffering that comes from those traumas
0: that's uh oh that's that's uh, a tough one to swallow that one it's it's like uh they already have that issue that they have to bear and then to have to bear another issue that comes upon them because of individuals taking advantage of them.
1: Well, what's exciting about the whole the deaf community, not only in Los Angeles, but across the country, is that it's a very empowered community now. And uh, uh, deaf people are the first ones to tell, to tell us, hearing people, that we're the ones that have the problem. <laughs> they, they have a language american sign language they have a language they have a culture yes and uh it's the hearing people who um are uh, more limited in viewing deaf people as disabled per se when really it's a communication barrier that uh hearing people and the hearing culture needs to work even harder to overcome
0: yes absolutely absolutely i and i can completely agree with that when when i had uh when my son was in his younger years we we taught him sign and we keep that up and um when we do run in to people who are hearing impaired and they see that he can sign very simple simplistically they are they're so joyful because here is a child and and they'll look at me and go are you deaf and i'll go no <laughs> Why does your son know how to do this? Well, because we feel it's a form of communication. Right, absolutely. Like like he learns any other language. This is just another language.
1: It's a beautiful language.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. So, um, oh, wow. The work you do is just so magnificent with your organization. Um, What? Is there certain cultures that you find that uh, there is... uh, sort of um a higher numbers because of their culture that that you're dealing with i mean here in the us uh people who have been living here and who've ra- been raised here um they may you know it, the, the lifestyle uh you know is quite different because it's it's such a an assortment of individuals coming together but then now we have this whole influx of immigrants coming in continuously from other countries, you know the Asian population, the Middle Eastern population. Do you find that the numbers for um, your organization uh increasing in those communities?
1: Well, often we've over the years' and, and you know we've been in existence for you know over forty years. Mm-hmm. Um, You often see that with newer immigrants because they don't understand the culture here and the laws here. Not to say that the hybrid American culture does not have violence in it; Mm -hmm. it absolutely does. Unfortunately, we have every kind of violence. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think some of the practices that families bring with them from other countries um, becomes an issue because they're not sure uh, they they don't know what the practices here, and so they're not. They, they're surprised sometimes when the police show up at the door. Mm. Um, and uh, and we've worked hard over these years to have the police take seriously domestic violence. Mm. And not just in the old days, the police would walk the, the abuser around the corner and say, you know, go home, be nice to your wife. Don't hit her anymore. I don't want to come out here again. Uh, and they'll say to the wife, well, you know, make his eggs uh, the way he wants them. Don't get him upset. Mm. Don't get him angry. Oh, no. You know, those are... Those are the old days, I mean yes. that does show up occasionally, but we've we've changed that norm um and uh i I think as as the wider American culture uh even though there's slippage sometimes, people don't brag about beating their wife anymore the way they used to, mm-hmm. but new immigrants have to adjust to uh, you know the new culture that they're in, and there's language barriers and their practices that. What may have been overlooked or even encouraged, um, back home. And so there's always a period of adjustment with new immigrants, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't want to malign any culture by saying, Oh, that's the one that has more than any other poverty is an issue. There are a lot economic, there's a lot of factors that go into, um, creating these culture, you know, cultures of violence, but, you know, as a whole, um, in our american culture on the one hand we have a lot of violence and on the other hand there's a lot of people trying to work to reduce that amount of violence mm-hmm. and they come from every culture
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so do you uh, have a lot of volunteers from those different um cultures
1: we do um we have a couple of hundred volunteers at our organization. We're very volunteer centered Mm -hmm. and our 24 hour hotline is completely staffed by volunteers from the diverse Los Angeles community. Mm -hmm. And so we recruit all year round. And then we do two uh, extremely intense and extremely transformative training of the volunteers so they can be on the hotline and that they can be there for the community.
0: Mm. So, so, for example, um, uh, for example, if an uh, individual is in a situation, instead of calling 911, they would call your hotline?
1: Well, it depends on the situation. Mm. If they are in an emergency and they can call 911 right at that crisis point, they should call 911. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, if you need the police to intervene, um, that's the first number to call. Uh, But some people don't do that. You know, they'll get through that immediate crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, the police will give out our hotline numbers, Uh, not only here in Los Angeles, but across the country. As I said, there's a whole network. There are advocates and advocacy organizations Dealing with sexual violence and domestic violence all across the country, that gives me great solace because I know the good work that we and our our allied agencies here do in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and I know that there are organizations across the country who are waiting and willing to serve and um to be that ally and advocate along the way mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so often people will call us. Immediately after a crisis, sometimes we get a call. A woman is on the corner with three kids, left the house with a, you know, a bloody nose, and she called up information, and they gave her our hotline number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we would work with her to get her to, and her children to a safe place. Uh, sometimes a police call and say, we just picked up a woman uh, who's been uh, sexually assaulted, and we're on the way to the hospital. Can you send an advocate to meet us at the hospital, and we will show up there? So mm-hmm. we are there at the point of crisis, and then we are there post crisis for the interventions, the healings, the counseling, and that's that can be a longer process, mm-hmm. of course. You know, but uh, so here at uh, Peace Over Violence, and as I said, with our other allied organizations, we're we're in it as advocates for the long haul,
0: mm-hmm. and. What happens in a situation where, for example, and I I hear this quite often, is where individuals are so scared. I mean, they're scared for their life, Patty, because, you know, they've been suppressed under this violence, that they're scared that if they say anything to anybody or they actually make a move, that their life will be in jeopardy. Uh, How, what? I mean, what kind of protection could they be looking at You know, how could you ease that sense of anxiety when they're scared for themselves and their children? Well,
1: easing that anxiety is there's no quick fix. Mm. Uh, The most important thing that we do is assess the situation. You know, how dangerous uh, is the situation that this person is in and try to get them to a safe place. That's what the shelters, that's what the domestic violence shelters are about. Some people have to leave and actually go hide out. I call it murder prevention. Mm-hmm. The violence mm-hmm. is so severe. The threat has been pers- you know persistent over a cycle of time. Um, and so it really, we're there to try to support that person. Getting them to a safe place, and once you get them to a safe place, then the process of figuring out what their life is going to look like, uh, with whether they're going to decide to leave the relationship for good, are their children involved, uh, and also sometimes, you know, what kind of injuries have, are they dealing with? Um, but uh, I would say, when it's when it comes when it's that serious, when your life is threatened, you have to reach out for help and not to get to that place where you think there's nothing that can be done. There are people out here who are willing to help. There are organizations. When people call us for help, they just don't get the hotline uh, counselor. They just don't get our uh, clinical social worker at at the office or the counselor at the office. They have an organization standing with them. And I think that's the important piece. Mm. So you're not going through this alone, that there are people who are skilled and willing to help make the systems work for the victim so that they can get to a safe, to get to a safer life. Mm.
0: But it's a process
1: Mm -hmm. and it's not easy.
0: No, I I mean, it just, just the first steps, you know, Mm. with uh, living with all that fear is, uh, that would be the right. most amazing step. Right. The first step and, is also the hardest. And what
1: happens is people become accustomed to living with that fear. Uh, you know, I always, uh, I say this often, uh, that I feel like battered women are some of the strongest women around because they figure out how to live with the abuser who probably is not being abusive all the time. In most cases, they're not. But they live through the cycles of abuse. Uh, they live with the the ups and downs, and they try to cope because they have a marriage, they have children with the person they have a bond with the person um, so it's 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 very challenge challenging um, but it's amazing how strong and how much strength battered um, women bring to the relationship and it's amazing how strong they are when they leave the relationship. But leaving is very dangerous it can, can be the most um, precarious time um, and that's when there's a greater risk for harm and a greater risk for uh, lethality is the leaving and the breaking up of the relationship
0: and uh, what if uh what of the situations where there is actually no physical abuse or no um, it's it's mainly verbal abuse or other types of abuse, you know, stalking emotional. Or emotional. emotional
1: abuse, psychological abuse, uh, the harassment, the stalking. Um, absolutely. You have many, 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 many situations where you have all of that and you don't necessarily have the accompanying physical abuse. Everyone focuses on the physical abuse. There's also sexual abuse in, in some of these relationships. It's like, it's like the, I call them the hidden abuses. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really when power and control takes over when you have the abuser willing to do almost anything to control another person Mm -hmm. and so then you have people who are trying to survive in those kinds of relationships and you become stuck you become stuck in in that relationship because of the fear, because you've been threatened and maybe you've been threatened but no one has ever touched you, Mm -hmm. but you know that the threat is real. You believe it. And so that's where that coercive power and control takes hold of a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, it's very complex to get out of these relationships. I, after, I mean, I still do hear like, why doesn't she leave? You know, people say this all the time with such judgment Mm -hmm. and such criticism and, uh, you know, I've I've been teaching about this for so long. I feel like, you know, hold your judgment, Mm -hmm. hold your criticism. We all like to say, oh, that would never happen to me. That happens to those people over there. Or what kind of a weak woman would stay in a relationship like that? Um, It's very complex. It's very, very, very complex. It's not, these are not simple relationships. There's bonding that has gone on. There is an actually even love that has taken place in these relationships. So, um, I guess uh I guess I'm always teaching that, you know, let's not be judgmental let's let's try to be an ally, let's try to be supportive, let's not blame the victim, you know, let's help victims become even stronger so that they can make a safer life for themselves
0: Ooh, I, yes, I can't imagine I've seen many many, many go through uh a lot of abusive and violent situations and I know as a child myself I went through a very violent and abusive situation so I always empathize with with those out there. Um now uh can you speak a little bit about children in a situation and how your organization supports them because that is that's also a very um wow I find it a very precarious situation like uh I volunteer in my son's school every morning and and I hesitate always on on what, you know, I'm a very huggable person and I love to hug and I love, you know, the human contact, you know, <laughs> that's who I am. I'm in the healing arts and the human contact is is uh to me one of something that is sort of dwindling away. And and it's mm-hmm. so important to feel that love and care, you know, from from each other um, that I have hesitated to, you know, approach children. Uh, in in a very loving manner because of what has happened you know in our society so uh, can you speak a little on that like how you know how do you as an organization uh, help children and how where are the guidelines to to what is right and and what is wrong and and what people can and cannot do
1: well touching a child Inappropriately? Oh, yes. That's- Absolutely. Yes. Um, touching a child's Ooh. private parts? Oh. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's, you know, hugging with the intent to have some kind of sexual or physical gratification mm. and, empower, you know, imposing oneself on a child? Absolutely. it's in a, You know, that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but... You know, it still happens. You know, mm-hmm. the children are uh, inappropriately touched. They're molested. Their space is invaded. They're violated. Uh, and also children witness domestic violence within their own families. And that's a, new, a newer program that we've been working with. It's, 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 when I say newer, it's not that new. But um, so many people grew up witnessing domestic violence. It didn't happen to them directly. You know, the abuser, their father, the mother's boyfriend or um, the mother, even the mother sometimes did not directly harm the child. But they witness the battles, the beatings uh, in that relationship, in those relationships. And so they grow up in a very unstable, precarious family. Having violence in a family is not healthy. And so witnessing violence is traumatizing, even if it didn't happen to you directly. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we've been working on more and more. And we recently opened up our Children and Youth Center here in downtown Los Angeles to deal even more with the children under, say, 11 or 12 years old who have witnessed domestic violence. And the shelter programs have been doing that for several years now. We have an out-of-shelter program. There are many battered women who do not want to go to shelters. They don't feel like it's necessary. Uh, To go to a shelter. Um, but, uh, so we deal with people who, whose families who have been broken apart by the violence. And we are focusing particularly on the children and making sure that they get some interventions. They get some understanding and they get another view of the world that, uh, that this is not normal behavior. One of the most, it may be, um, normal in a sense that it happens more often. But it's not healthy behavior is basically what I should say. It's not healthy behavior. And we don't want our children to grow up emulating um, abuse and adopting abusive practices. And we don't want them to grow up to be victims of abusers. So that's why it's so important to work with children and uh, and work with the whole family to help families mm-hmm. be healthier and, and figure out other ways to deal with conflict Um, And other ways to deal with equality in relationships, because that's part of the problem, um, that one person is not viewed as being equal in the relationship. So they are uh, there's the whole power over dynamic uh, um, is in play. So we're very we're very excited about some of the new work that we're, we're doing with families and with children.
0: And do you also go into the educational system like the schools, the high schools?
1: we're very involved uh, in the school districts here um, and uh, statewide we're involved with a lot of policy about uh making sure that sure that schools are safe, not just safe from obviously from any kind of gun shootings um, but safe from that interpersonal violence that can go on uh, among uh, children who young people adolescents who are dating mm-hmm. high school. And uh, young people are dating even younger than before, even in mid- middle school now. And so, we've been very involved with teen dating violence prevention and working on policies for school districts to make sure that they see they can see these kinds of violences that are somewhat underground, mm-hmm. but they're happening, you know, among the youth on the high school and middle school campuses. And in the past, adults, the teachers, faculty, they have not known what it looks like. So they haven't seen it. So there's been a lot of education so that teachers can can really see what teen dating violence looks like. In fact, I'm in the process of rewriting uh, a book about teen dating violence for parents. It's going to be coming out in September. It's called When Dating Becomes Dangerous, A Parent's Guide to Relationship Abuse prevention. I'm writing it with my co-author Barry Levy, yes. um, and we wrote the first book about 12 years ago for parents on the subject. Uh, and here at Peace Over Violence, um, we have our In Touch with Teens curriculum, which is to prevent uh, teen dating violence in schools. And there are other curricula across the country. And uh, as I said, we're ve- before we're very organized with our networks now. So it's not just about what happens in L.A. Mm-hmm. It has to, it also has to happen in other communities. It has to happen in the larger cities, it has to happen in the rural and the suburban areas. So it's a question of everybody coming online so to speak yes. about dealing with these these issues and becoming and becoming educated and becoming engaged bystanders on these subjects. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't and not look away. It's uh, it's no longer acceptable for us as adults to look away at the violence that goes on in schools it goes on with young people that goes on in the streets or goes on in in other families not only our own to look away that goes on in our own families Mm -hmm. but in other families and that's the only way we're going to get to a healthy society if we all pay attention Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely oh my goodness now how how do people get involved with your organization? Uh, do, do they con- just pick up the phone and contact and and uh, apply?
1: Uh, yes, of course. Um, you can call Peace Over Violence. You can go to our website. Probably that's the best place to start, peaceoverviolence.org. And we also have our Denim Day in LA, USA.org, and you can find out about... Um, how to become a volunteer, there's information so you can educate yourself about these topics. Um, As I said, we really welcome volunteers Mm -hmm. in terms of not only becoming advocates on the issue, but uh, becoming people educated in prevention. And so we have a a specialized training for violence prevention specialists, people come Mm -hmm. from the community. And uh, we teach you everything you ever want to know about violence prevention, maybe more than you ever wanted to know. But uh, we we believe in education here at Peace Over Violence. Um,
0: now, now, Patty, you mentioned your Denim Day that you had created and uh, founded. Can you share with us uh, more about that day?
1: April 24th.
0: This year. <laughs> this year,
1: 2013. It's our 14th year. We pick a day, usually the third Thursday of, uh, third or fourth Thursday, depends, uh, of the month of April, which I mentioned before is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And, um, essentially it's a huge mobilization. And as I said, go to the website, org, and you can get materials. You can download a toolkit. You can purchase buttons in 12 different languages that say there is no excuse and never an invitation. We invite people to wear denim, to wear jeans on purpose that day. Now, in in most environments now, jeans are, you know, de rigueur. Everybody wears jeans all the time. (laughs) So what we say is wear jeans on purpose on Denim Day. And there's Denim Day New York City. There's Denim Day Uh, Chicago. There's Denim Days all over the country. There's Denim Day. Nevada, the governor of Nevada has declared April 24th as Denim Day. Nevada for the entire state. There's California Denim day. So this is catching on. After 14 years, and we're so happy about the internet and social media because people can go to the website and download materials and people can participate and they can create their own Denim Days wherever they are, in their workplaces, in their schools, Uh, and they can wear buttons, and they can become educated, and they can study that day and learn more about the topic. Two goals we have. One is to support survivors of sexual violence, and the other is to work toward the prevention of sexual violence. Those are the two goals of Denim Day USA.
0: Mm, mm, Wonderful. And also, we notice on your uh, website and in your emails that you have a... um, a good maker drive is to vote for your good maker drive, which is uh, an organization where you need people to vote for you. And there's like four days left on this.
1: Right. There's it's LA 20, uh, uh 2050. There's a, um, a campaign by a foundation to award $100,000 to an organiz- to, I think they're going to give one hundred thousand dollars to ten organizations in Los Angeles, Mm. and um, would that be great if we could be one of those ten organizations? What would I do with a hundred? You know what I would do with one hundred thousand dollars if we were able to get that? We would do more work. We need to. We really need to fund our children and youth center. Mm. That's what we'd be doing with one hundred thousand dollars. We'd be sure that the counseling that we don't have waiting lists anymore. Um, that we would be even more in the schools working with children. Um, mm-hmm. That's what we would do. So there's a contest going on right now. It seems like there's uh, a lot of philanthropies and um, have gotten into this. You know, vote for your favorite charity. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yes, <yeah. laughs> yes, there has been. There has right, been a but... lot of
1: that. So we are participating in that. Uh, and so I would love everybody to go to La Twenty Five and uh, La Fifty. I'm sorry, La Fifty uh, and uh, Uh,
0: L.A. 2050, I should say. Well, you know what, Patty?
1: uh, And vote for peace (laughs) over violence.
0: Well, we're going to make it even easier for our audience, actually. On the page uh, that this uh, interview will live on, there will actually be a link to each of your event, Denim Day, as well as to your organization, as well as... Uh, we have uh, created a direct URL to the voting page, so it makes it easy oh. for people. <laughs> they oh, click on and they go great. directly to the page to vote. So oh,
1: that's exciting, you know. Because look over here, you see what it says: Rape is a global issue. There is no anyone who can hear my voice. This is happening all over the country, all over the world. This is an international issue, and we really want to generate interest in uh, in the, pr- proliferating this education. Uh, and that it's not about what somebody wears. It's not about because a, a young girl went to a party and had a little bit too much to drink and that because of that, she deserved to be assaulted. We want to bust these myths that blame the victim all the time for these assaults. And so the more that uh, the people who, uh, are fo- who follow you and uh, all your work toward balance and health um all of us working going in the same direction is going to make a difference.
0: Absolutely, Patty. We are speaking with Patty Giggins, executive director for Peace Over Violence. Patty, if there was one thing that you would share with our communities, you know, that is important for people to remember in any kind of situation, what would that be? In any kind of situation where there Feeling violated or abused.
1: You know, I I guess the one thing is you do not deserve if you're suffering from abuse, if you are being harmed, you do not deserve to live like that. And that there are people and their organization and their advocates who will help you. Reach for the phone, reach for the text, reach for the email, go to the websites wherever you live. Reach out, and there will be people there will be advocates there will be organizations that will be right there with you and help you do not go through the trauma of abuse alone you do not deserve to be sexually abused to be battered to be emotionally controlled no one deserves that
0: mm. Mm. oh my goodness it's um it's so we are so honored to Have you on our program today, Patty, the work that you and your team and the other organizations that are affiliated with you, there is really no words that that can truly explain the wonderful shifts that you continue to make, you know, on this planet. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And we hope that in future, when there are any events that you're doing, that we could here at Yoga Hub, that we hope to be able to support you and get it out there as far as we can. (laughs) Hopefully one day it'll be my dream where it can be in all different languages as well.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and this is a movement. We have to be in this together. I really want to invite everyone to to join the movement to to end violence against women and girls, because by doing that, we will also end violence against men and boys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one will be if we start ending violence, no one will be left out. Yeah. We really will create a healthier and safer and more peaceful world.
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you so much Patty Giggins for joining us here today and everyone who's listening to this please please um Vote for them. Um, You know, I'm just going to give the URL to everybody right now. It's yogahub.us forward slash vote POV. Again, yogahub.us forward slash vote POV. And that will take you directly to um, the site to click that you're voting for them. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we invite you to. Go to their direct site, peaceoverviolence.org and also denimday.org and further look into April 24th nationwide. I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We are grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing from you on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time, 1.30 Eastern Time. Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. Thank you for joining us. Again, we're honored, Patty Giggins, and we look forward to seeing you again. Until then, namaste. Peace.